Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. Every week, we take another look at some part of our psychology or our behavior and try to parse it out. And our expert is Dr. Jim Polo. You look really good in polo stripes. Oh, the sun is out. We're, we're allowed to actually go out without masks in some places. So it's, it's, it's getting better. Yeah, I, I do want to talk this week, if you don't mind, about the psychology of vaccinations because I'm so fascinated by the anti-vax movement and the disparate groups that seem to be involved in this particular movement and what it means for our overall health. So can we just dive right in by saying how big a percentage of, and let's just deal with Americans, how big a percentage of Americans is this? Uh, that's a tough question to answer because it really kind of depends on where in the country that you're talking about. That's the first challenge here. Yeah. So there are some areas of the country where there's a lot more resistance, a lot more hesitation to get vaccine, and then other areas where it's not so bad. Across the nation, it's estimated anywhere between about 7 to about 20% of folks will be resistant initially. And there are some that are clearly opposed totally. But it is a very fascinating, fascinating uh, topic, particularly right now, obviously, because it's important to all of us. If we're looking at those types of numbers, and I've heard it as big as 30% in some parts of the country, what does that mean for the overall view that we were going to march toward herd immunity and then we'd get rid of this thing? So first of all, it does make it more challenging if uh, folks are not immune. And, And the reason why I say not immune is because obviously part of the issue with folks that are resistant to get vaccinated is some will say what they really want is they want to have natural immunity. Okay. First of all, when we talk about just immunity of a population, it's more than just vaccination. The thing about herd immunity, you know, the the media has, has tried to kind of make the science of understanding this easy. And in doing so, I think it's sometimes created more confusion. When you have a virus and it's spreading, there are a number of different factors that are involved in terms of how transmissible is it, how contagious is it, how dangerous it is. All those things come to play when you start talking about how do we help the entire population. When it comes to COVID specifically, it's estimated that what's called the herd immunity threshold, the the point at which you will have enough people that you begin to see a significant improvement for the whole population is somewhere between about 60 and 70%. And the reason why I say that is because early on, uh, there were many folks saying that, hey, we're not going to hit herd immunity until you have 87% of the population vaccinated. That's not quite accurate. That's a good estimation. And actually that is more applicable to some other diseases. But for COVID, one of the silver linings is that we don't have to vaccinate everybody to really protect the whole population. Now, having said that, the more people that are immune through vaccination, the more likely all of us will benefit from that. And so part of the challenge is why are people hesitant? You know, where does that come from? And how do you bring them on board? It feels like it is deeply personal, deeply psychological, and from completely different types of groups. For instance, I see that male Republicans are among the group that are highest in terms of the anti-vax movement, but they're also aligned with a group of people that are very much sort of what I would call granola crunchers, far left 
individuals who really don't like to have anything in yeah. their body that they consider foreign. So it might be helpful to point out two things, first of all, from a historical perspective. Okay. So the first disease for which we were able to kind of develop a vaccination for was smallpox, This which was in the 1700s. And even back then, there was opposition to this idea of doing something, vaccination, to prevent a disease that you didn't have in the first place. So the idea that people were kind of somewhat against vaccination has been going on for quite some time. And generationally, we live in a world right now, particularly in Americans, where we've not been subject to living in a society where a disease came through and killed a lot of people. If you go back to the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s, when people do remember what it was like to see smallpox, what it was like to get cholera, what it was like for people to have typhoid fever, and then you talked about vaccination, people had a vision of the real risk and consequently were more willing to get vaccinated. And, and today we live in a world where we talk about these diseases. Uh, I studied all of them in medical school and some of them I've never seen. <laughs> and when you've never seen something, it's a little bit harder to get folks to think and to be afraid of it because they've never actually seen the impact of what it could cause. I do wonder about that. If, if there was any kind of data on the number of people that actually had someone they love who either died or got very seriously ill from it, because once you've seen someone who's really sick by it, you're spooked by it. It's you're, you're spooked. You're spooked. You know, that brings up something that you were talking about before. Well, what are the types of people? What are the characteristics and how might that help us then as a society? So first of all, people that are very, very oppositional to, um, you know, getting vaccinated fall usually in one category, but there's a broad collection of folks that will not get vaccinated and they generally fall into three categories. They're either complacent, they don't care about the issue, it's not important, it doesn't affect them, they don't put a lot of thought into it, okay, they're just complacent. Or there are people that it's not convenient for them. Yeah, this might be important and it might be something I would do, but you know, it's not convenient, it's not available, I call, I'm on hold, blah, 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 blah. The ones that are the most oppositional are the ones that lack confidence. So these are the people that see the risk of the vaccination as being greater than the risk of the infection. And the funny thing is that if you're purely a betting person, if you just play the odds on any disease that spreads for which we've developed vaccines, the numbers will always reveal that the risk of the disease is worse than the risk of the vaccination. But you got to remember, if you don't have either one of them in front of you, and we're talking about low percentages to begin with, it can really skew how you view those risks. You mentioned that conservative folks, white males, Republicans, I guess maybe is, is what you're thinking, are a little bit more resistant, a little bit more oppositional, and, and this is actually quite accurate. It, it appears that folks that tend to be resistant, they tend to think more of themselves rather than others. Think about that. I'm afraid I'm going to get something from the vaccine. So I don't want the vaccine. It's not about anybody else. It's, it's about they themselves. Second, they will often tell you that what's important to them is choice and personal freedom. That vaccination is somehow going against my ability to make a decision for myself irrespective of whether that's a good decision or a bad decision, it's your own decision. 
people that are highly oppositional tend to mistrust government. They tend to mistrust institutions. They tend to mistrust things. And in fact, what's interesting, they mistrust science. And we live in a world today where all kinds of inaccurate data is out there on the internet, which further makes people say, well, I don't believe the data because, you know, I did my own research and I looked at my own 10 websites and they all said that this is a bad thing. Whereas people that are more persuadable, people that are more likely to consider, they tend to, first of all, want to know more facts. They tend to be a little bit more preventive thinking as opposed to reactive thinking. You know, if you're getting a vaccine, you're focusing on preventing something. If you don't want to get a vaccine, you're you're reacting, you're waiting to when you have one or the other to do something with it. Folks that are persuadable, that are more likely to get vaccinated also tend to think beyond themselves. They recognize that vaccination is about something that really kind of helps all of us yeah. as opposed to a few of us. From a psychological perspective, the thing that is important to remember here is that when people have a firm fixed idea in their head, you're not usually going to change their mind overnight. And so from a public perspective, you know, most social scientists will say, focus on the people that are on the edge, focus on the people that are persuadable, yeah. the ones that are oppositional, that are really against it. You're kind of wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. And so when you look at COVID specifically, and we talk about the herd immunity threshold, if we can get up to 60 or 70% of the folks immune, hopefully through vaccination, then it won't matter that we had those people that were highly resistant. The fascinating thing is about the power of persuasion and how in people who are truly oppositional, persuasion acts as the exact opposite, that they see any attempt to persuade them as making them even firmer in their steadfast belief that there's no amount of fact, there's no amount of data that could ever persuade them. They actually get more entrenched in their belief system. Why does that happen and where did that come from? Is this a relatively yeah. new phenomenon with so much it, information out there? It, it is not a new phenomenon. Keep in mind that you know, we are creatures that love to be right. And in our zeal to be right, when we have an opinion, regardless of where that opinion came from, we go looking for all of the bits of information that support what we already believe. And we use that to prove we're right. We tend to ignore the things that are obvious in front of us if they don't support what we already believe. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is like that, okay? Obviously, you know, you can give folks information, you can show them something, and if they're open and willing to think about it, they will change their mind and say, oh, I had no idea, I didn't know that. Yeah. But sometimes when it comes to these issues that are very personal and core to the heart, then logic no longer drives what people believe. It, it becomes kind of emotional. Now, here's what's interesting. When you go to some of the researchers that talk about public campaigns, one of the first things they will tell you about vaccination and vaccination hesitancy in terms of helping people, giving them a story is more powerful than giving them facts. Facts are not personal. Fa facts are, are just numbers. So you can tell somebody about all the percentages about the disease and they may die and, and so forth. But if you can provide them a story that brings that to life, that will have a lot more power than facts. Uh, and that works with whether you're somebody that's oppositional or supportive. 
I heard a um, of a doctor who himself contracted COVID that works in rural Pennsylvania, and he's coming up against a lot of anti-vaxxers. And he was saying that some of the the reasoning is so it's so absurd, it's so out there. So he explains his personal story of of having to go on intubation and being in the ICU for three weeks and being weak as a kitten when he got out. And they'll say, I don't want the government implanting a chip in my arm. They will come right. up with reasoning that there's no amount of storytelling that's going to overpower that. Well, uh, and this is a very complex social discussion when you really think about it. We happen to be suffering this pandemic during a period of a lot of divisiveness and a lot of politicization of issues that are social. This idea that you can sway people by getting them to think logically, it's mind boggling when you present somebody with evidence and and they still don't believe it. I'll, I'll give you a great example. There are people today, and this may even touch the hearts of a few of our listeners, that believe vaccination causes autism. That has been debunked multiple times. The, the original researchers, they lost their licenses because they fabricated their data. In fact, if I showed you a graph of the increasing sales of organic foods in the millions for the last 10 years, the curve follows the increased prevalence of autism almost exact, almost exactly. But nobody is saying that organic food causes autism. And I'm not saying that either. Yeah. I'm just saying you can use data in many different ways and kind of inappropriately come to conclusions that that just don't make sense. So, you know, the reality is vaccination is a scientific approach to how we help folks become immune before they actually get infected with the real virus. And the way I look at it is I know factually I cannot get COVID from the vaccine. If I get COVID, in my case, I will probably be fine. I don't have any chronic conditions. I'm not that old. Uh, I'm healthy. So I actually don't fear getting COVID. But here's the key. I say to myself, would I rather take the risk, however small it is, that I would somehow succumb to COVID Or would I rather take the risk of getting a vaccine that's probably going to cause maybe a little bit of discomfort for a day or two and go away? Well, in my case, I'm a betting guy. I'd rather (laughs) not have the risk of getting COVID and I'll go with the vaccine every day. Yeah. And to be a member of one of these long hauler groups like I am for watching out for my mother's long haul conditions. And so many of them were young, athletic, incredible number of people from the medical field who were actually treating COVID patients yes. who are now yes. suffering yes. with long term debilitating consequences yes. of getting this virus. And so so the bet is even skewed because you can't just depend upon your great immune system and your and your relatively young age to help because this is so weird. It is Correct. the weirdest virus I have ever seen. <laughs> and you know the, the the challenging part is all of these viruses that we currently have vaccinations for, they're all different. They all have their own nuances in terms of uh, what they cause how uh, prevalent they are, what they mean to people. But I give an example that I remember from childhood. So, you know, I grew up in the 60s. And uh, in the 60s, uh, there was no vaccine for chickenpox. And chickenpox was common. Every year, somebody got chickenpox. So when I started going to school, uh, I was a first grader. A kid in the community got chickenpox. And guess what the mothers did? They all send their little uh, first graders over to his house to play. 
because if you got chickenpox at a young age, you'd have a little bit of a rash, you'd be a little bit sick, and then you were going to be fine, and you would never get it again. Right. So that's just what we did. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. Did occasionally somebody die from chickenpox? Oh, yes. And in fact, as a young physician, I had an adult patient that got admitted with chickenpox and died from it because the mortality rate for chickenpox as an adult is much higher than in children. And today we have vaccinations that we give kids so that they don't even have to get chickenpox as a little kid, which is fairly harmless. Right. In my life, that's set in this early idea. Hey, look, there's something you can do early ahead of time to prevent something that my mother is telling me is really bad if I get it later. That's all I knew as, as a first grader. But I could tell you a story now about polio or smallpox, where the outcome is much more different, where people actually die. And that's what happened with the pandemic flu in the early 1900s. That flu killed many, many, many children. And people were very aware for how fragile life was as a result of the pandemic. I think it would be really important to try to tell people if there is someone in your circle, and I would imagine that they have to be in your pretty close circle for you to be able to impact their decision on whether to vaccinate. How would you suggest they go about it? You mentioned storytelling is one really effective method, but... What else can you do? Because you don't want to give them a fax and try to talk them out of the point of view. So that is a really great question. And I'll tell you why. Because when folks, for whatever reason, don't want to get vaccinated, it doesn't make them an evil person. And it doesn't make them a stupid person. It's what they believe. And so the temptation is to start criticizing them. Oh, you're not smart. You haven't read. You're a conservative freak. And, and you start criticizing the person, which, of course, just makes everything go worse. So, sure. so the first thing I, I generally tell folks, you have somebody in your family or if you have a close friend that's against vaccination, be patient. Listen to their perspective. Don't criticize them personally. Offer some information. And in fact, staying away from the factual stuff is probably better. I don't lead with vaccination. I actually lead with what happens if you get sick. With somebody that's really against vaccination, tell them a story about somebody that had COVID. That's a lot harder to just ignore and say that's not a big deal. Um, Study was done recently that showed that with regard to COVID, the people that were highly persuadable, in other words, the folks that felt like they would be willing to consider vaccination, then the people that they respected the most were their personal physicians or local uh, healthcare providers and the CDC. Now, if you jump over to the people that were opposed, ironically enough, the CDC is nowhere in there. And they're more likely to have trust in family and friends, but they also have a tremendous amount of trust in their own personal physician, and other local healthcare providers. And so the other thing that I tend to then tell people is, listen, if somebody's really opposed and you care about them and you're not changing their mind as gentle as you're being, just tell them to go talk to their own doctor. Tell them to talk to their own doctor. This is already somebody that they usually trust. Now, here's what's interesting. When I have ever seen people in the course of them being my patient, and I've done a lot of primary care and and so forth, I don't usually have people that are yelling in my face about vaccination. 
when I've been involved in some kind of advocacy project or some kind of community, then I've had anti-vaxxers, you know, yelling in my face, you know, you're killing yeah. people, you're killing yeah. kids. So people have a different attitude when it's their own personal physician relationship in terms of saying, well, this person's whole life is about helping others. I right. should listen to what they have to say. It makes me wonder whether or not there was sort of a misstep in all of the way that the rollout was in these huge convention, very sort of government type bureaucracy, rather than shipping doses to individual practices, because you're right, the trust is with the person you know. And when someone jabs you in the arm, it's preferable that you've seen them for years rather than it being a total stranger. So yes. we're here now. The other day I was in Walmart of all places and they said, step right up and get a free vaccine. You don't even have to show your accord. I was like, whoa, okay, so much for that group that says it's inconvenient because it's everywhere now. Right. It's very interesting. People that were kind of resistant to the flu shot are more resistant to the COVID, even though COVID is causing much more harm. I mean, the data is clear. Rational thinking sometimes doesn't go into some of these opinions. And that's why you need to be patient. And that's why you need to listen when you're talking with somebody, because you're not going to reason them into changing their mind easily. And it's also, I think, important to say there are many people who have said, I'll wait and see what happens to those who get it, which is yes. a very strange statement for me. Like, you go ahead, Mikey, you do it. But, though, you know, there are some people that are now coming up who are in their original studies on their fifth month of, of immunity. So hearing yeah. from those folks would be great, and, too. And this touches a little bit on uh, what Ma uh, Maxwell Gladwell called the tipping point. Yeah. At what point do enough people in a group do something that others begin to jump on board? So, right. you know, there's the 80-20 rule. If you can get 80% of the folks moving in one direction, the other 20 will generally, usually follow along in one way or another. Now, the, the difference here is that we're not talking about something that's new that you're trying to push people into. We're talking about something that people had kind of preconceived ideas about. But the reason why I point this out is because if you look at adolescence, adolescence in general, their values do get influenced by the family within which they grow up in. But that's not to say that adolescents necessarily always believe everything their parents believe. Adolescents tend to be susceptible to, first of all, peer pressure. If everybody else is doing something, they want to be in the end crowd. So yeah. if everybody else is getting vaccinated, they now have to deal with that peer pressure that they're more susceptible than we as adults usually are. In addition to that, adolescents do tend to think more about others. What's the big group suffering? What's every, and that continues well into the, the Gen Z generation and the millennial generation. Uh, these generations tend to be more socially minded about yeah. communities and what's happening to the, to, to the greater community. Whereas the older generations tend to not be as much that way, I should say. That That's fascinating that we may age out the people who are disbelievers. Wouldn't that be hopeful? Uh, it would be hopeful. <laughs> Along with a lot of other maladies in our society, I'm afraid that are associated with that older generation that just are a little more rigid in their thinking, you know? Yeah. yeah you know, it's interesting. And, and this, this is another side topic, but it's related here. Vaccination is mandatory in the United States for children to attend public school. Yeah. You don't get an option. 
you have to do it. In fact, it's one of the reasons why charter schools erupted and private schools erupted and so yeah. forth, because there, there are some that cater to folks that don't want that. So there is precedent for times when you can make something mandatory and it actually turns out okay. Same thing in the military. In the, in the armed services, all branches, vaccination is mandatory because that's what protects you when you go into foreign right. territories for, from disease and it protects yeah. the whole group. But that element of making something mandatory creates a lot of angst in terms of tenets of democracy and freedom. And yeah. at what point can somebody make me do something to my body that I don't really want to? Lots of, lots of tension in all of those, those issues. I love this conversation. And what, what I hope we can do is a year from now, look back and say, well, that worry wasn't as, as big as we thought that it was. I'm super concerned about the number of variants that are popping up and whether or not we'll all continue to be protected. But I guess we, we cover that um, in the, in the months and weeks to come, right? Well, I, I I agree with you. And and I am going to be excited to see where it turns out. Here, here's the way I'm telling myself though, as a way of of kind of just framing it uh, you know, in a positive way. Hey, listen, I'm doing my job to help all of us get, you know, in an environment where we can feel safe and healthy from disease. And I'm okay if a few people benefit from that that didn't get vaccinated. I'm okay oh. with that. That's a beautiful way to, I'm pulling that out as an original soundbite, Dr. Polo. That's wonderful. Thank you again for joining us. And if you have any other questions about things like vaccines or how you might be able to influence a friend or a neighbor or someone in your community who is resistant, log on to our website. We have some really wonderful tips there as well. If you could give us a thumbs up wherever you listen to podcasts, we sure appreciate it. Thanks again, Dr. Polo. Bye.